and welcome to the APT Comics Podcast, episode 256. My name is David Brooke. We're here to talk comics. We're here to talk to comic creators. And this week, we have a special co-host, CJ Dennings. Hey, everybody. CJ has uh, been writing amazing reviews for APT for quite some time. But even more importantly, he killed it at STCC last summer. Incredible coverage on the floor, covering panels, Great reporting, great interviewing. You interviewed Tom McFarlane a few months ago. How do you do it, man? How do you keep it going? This is you're like a workaholic. I love writing. I love comics, and if it's, it's just like you know, I had I went to San Diego uh, twice before writing for another outlet, so it was yeah. easier. But this time, it was really a different experience because you know the writers and actor strike was going on, yeah. and everybody was like, "What are you going to cover?" I was like. The comics, it's Comic Con. Like, 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 I yeah, love yeah. all the movies and TV and stuff. But comics is always my first love, so I think that really shows in my writing. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess people just really like what I have to say because that's why McFarlane's folks reach out to me, and that's why the folks at LA Comic Con reach out to me and say, "You want to cover this?" For you? I was like, "Oh hell yeah, 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 yeah!" yeah I just love it. I gotta say, I've been doing this for twelve years, and it's not often that publicity folks are like, "Can we like reaching out to writers like you and being like, can you do this work?" So. Like all the power to you, man. You obviously you're putting in the work and you're doing quality work too. It also helps that I, you know, work with awesome people. It's like, you know, I read <laughs> Turn it back around. No, no, for real, for real, for real. Like here at AIPT, at Collider, at IGN mm-hmm. and other sites around it, I yeah. generally meet awesome people and editors. So mm-hmm. that helps as well. That's true. You're a journeyman too. I mean, you're doing even more writing than I might know because I'm not necessarily looking at other sites all the time. Uh do you do you have like select days where you're reviewing? Like, are you reviewing like all Sunday? Like, how do you how do you manage yourself? Well, uh, get well. I try you know break it down into stuff like again depending on releases stuff like uh, Sunday or Monday I'll do DC since they release Tuesday and then Tuesday I'll try and get you know Marvel Image etc. Mm-hmm. and then Wednesday Thursday is my other stuff because uh, I usually write movie reviews or think pieces on movies. And then Friday, I just take the day off and just do whatever. (laughs) I mean, man, you like live and breathe pop culture, but uh, uh, comics as well. Is there anywhere where people can find you online or anything? Yeah. um, Like I mentioned before, other sites I've written for include uh, Slash Film, Collider, IGN, That Hashtag Show. And you can also find me on Instagram and threads as CJ Wright Stuff. On the app formerly known as Twitter, as CJ writes things, <laughs> yep. somebody took CJ writes stuff. I, I, oh, bastard! I, I'm just like, there's another CJ out there who's other who's also writing stuff. Do I have an evil twin I don't know about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also talk comics and other pop culture on TikTok as again CJ writes stuff. So if you want to nice. see my unfiltered thoughts on movies and stuff, follow me there. And yeah, that's just. CJ may be the next Roger Ebert of comics criticism, guys. I don't know. I have my finger. I will take it. I will take it. (laughs) Uh, If you're not familiar with the AFD Comics Podcast, this is where we recap the biggest news of the week. We review our favorite comics and have special guests on too. This week, we have the Kill Your Darlings team, Robert Quinn, Ethan Smith, and Griffin Sheridan to talk Kill Your Darlings. Um, Issue 5 is coming out next week. We get deep into that. Uh, And stick around for next week. Rick Remender is our guest. We're talking all about Napalm Lullaby and his giant generator uh, imprint at Image Comics. It's a really good one. But that's next week. This week in news, I would say the biggest news of the week. And usually I say what the biggest news is based on the response. 
is the fact that uh, the Ghost Rider will no longer be Danny Ketch or that other guy no one cares about. <laughs> but the Hood, the supervillain The Hood is going to be the Ghost Rider starting in March. Uh, Benjamin Percy is writing with Danny Kim on art. And my God, Juan Ferreira, who's been on this show before, did the design for this cover, and it is insane. Um, he, uh, we got uh, the Hood Ghost Rider combo with his iconic red cape and a gun, a double-barreled gun with a skull at the end of it. It's so sick. And then, of course, this design was by Danny Kim. Um, you can see these designs at AAPTcomics.com. It is super cool. Um, I do know that some people were furious, but this is a, this is this is what happens in comics uh, news. Mm -hmm. And then there were people who were like really excited and said, "Actually, this I'm not mad. This makes sense." When you saw this, CJ, what did you what did you think? What was your first snap judgment? I was like, "This looks metal as hell." Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then my second thought was, "This actually makes a lot of sense." Because again, for those who may not know, uh, Parker Robbins, aka the Hood, became one of the most reigning crime figures in Marvel's universe when he took a demon's hood and boots. And I had seen him on and off um, first in the, uh, his uh, first in the uh, beyond miniseries by the late great Dwayne McDuffie and Scott Collins, which was kind of like a semi sequel to the OG secret wars. And then uh, he really blew up uh, during uh, Brian Bendis's new Avengers when he yeah. became, you know, super powered Kingpin of crime. Cause again, mm -hmm. you know, guys like Wilson Fisk and, uh, Hammerhead were just regular guys, but this was guy was empowered by a demon, and he's also been popping up and like the Mary Jane and Black Cat one shot, which was also was written by Jim McKay, who's been mm -hmm. doing great work on the really stuff. And then now, well, yeah, it, it, it's really cool. A character with demonic lineage taking on the Ghost Rider is fun, and like uh, Percy said, it's a super villain because like mm -hmm. um, the thing with Catch and Blaze and Robbie Reyes. I mean, they didn't ask for it. They, right. but they also use it to curse. do good stuff. Yeah, right. it's a curse. Mm -hmm. So, what happens when you give the curse to somebody who is used to being cursed? That right, I would right. love to see. Yeah, I'm. I mean, considering what Percy did with this Ghost Rider run so far, which has a ton of body horror, I'm really curious to see how hard this goes in like a horror evil way. And if you have a supervillain behind the reins of this superhero, mon uh, you know, character type. What are they gonna do? Is it gonna go even harder? Are we gonna see even like crazier stuff, or will the hood be like, maybe I should be good now? I don't know. We'll see. I suppose. Yeah, because because yeah, because this is a guy who is no compunction about using violence, and mm -hmm. given how gnarly uh, Percy has been on with his titles, like I have read Wolves Wolverine stuff and his Ghostwriter stuff, and I'm like, yeah. good God, how did you get away with this? So I'm just like, I'm <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. excited, but also a little nervous to see. Okay, now that a guy like Parker Robbins has a spirit of vengeance. What's going to happen? Is he going to go after superheroes? Is he going to go after supervillains? Is he going to try and rebuild his empire? Now that you know he's a... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. A lot of potential, for sure. Um, also, in Marvel Comics news, uh, AIPT had the exclusive chat with Cody Ziegler uh, to talk about Spider-Punk arms race. Uh, Justin Mason's on art. And uh, we actually got to exclusively reveal designs of Earth-138's Black Panther and Shuri along with um, Punk Ock. <laughs> so this is like a anarchy punk universe, and um, this is obviously a follow-up to Cody and Justin's last series, which was really cool. This is only a four-issue series, but it, it appears to be doing a ton of stuff, including introducing a bunch of new characters, some of which he hasn't even revealed yet, on top of Shuri and Black Panther. 
Um, and also it's funny that this book gets a subtitle. This is the second time in like three months that Marvel announces a book and then adds a subtitle like two or three months later, uh, which was kind of, I don't know, interesting to me. But It's also kind of punny since Ock is in their arms race. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh man, I, I I recommend checking out the interview. It's pretty cool. We talk a little bit about spider slaying, spider slaying sentinels. Say that five times fast. Um, I'm pretty oh pumped for this. Stark sentinels, spider slaying sentinels. <laughs> they're everywhere. Like, there's so many different kinds of sentinels. I, I mean, I guess it's cool they're branching out, and not you know hunting mutants anymore. But Jesus. sure, I know, right? And then we've got X Men seven uh, ninety or what is it seventy eight eighty nine? What is it? Nine, X Men ninety seven. Ninety seven. So. You know there'll be sentinels in that. It's the year of the Sentinels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you pumped for uh, Spider Punk? Oh my God! Yeah, I read the original. I read the original one from uh, Ziggler and Mason. It was really yeah, yeah, good, yeah. and mm-hmm. it also helps that you know Spider Punk was a big runaway part of across the Spider Verse and yeah. was voiced for perfection by Daniel Kaluuya. So that also helps. But mm-hmm. it's really good because uh, Cody's been doing really good with the uh, Miles Morales, and yeah. now we have you know. That so it's also fun. Also, I love you know seeing different takes on characters. I think that's the real fun. It's just like, okay, there's a punk set. So how does you know the Black Panther fit into this, and how does you know other stuff fit into this? Because like, yeah, it was fun to see you know Punk Ironheart and uh, Captain Anarchy. So mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see what is brought to the table. And Justin Mason is just a really great artist. So yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's, it's so fascinating. If you don't know, Spider-Punk was um, like this background character that Olivia Coipel drew in a Dan Slott book uh, for Spider-Verse. Just random. And then Dan Slott at the time was like, wait, who's that? And that's the creation of a character that now is expanding thanks to Cody Ziegler and Justin Mason and, you know, this world building that's happening. Like, it's that's kind of what makes superhero comics so neat, right? Like, we saw it with Spider-Gwen oh, yeah. too. Like, this cool design can shift into a really interesting and compelling character. And I think that's what really makes the Spider-Verse concept as well as uh, Spider-Man really fun because it's just like, okay, how okay, how does this person's differ and how is it also the same? Because again, you know, there are going to be different twists on different villains and, you know, different other heroes and stuff. So it's, it's really fun. And, you know, you can give depth to other characters. Like, you know, right. in the regular 66, Hobie Brown was the original Prowler. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, people know him as, you know, this hardcore punk rock Spider-Man. And I think that's really cool. It's really cool, yeah. You know what else is really cool? Ultimate Spider-Man that came out this week. <laughs> yes. Oh, Man, my God. Got to be the most anticipated comic for, like, every human being that reads comics. Um, for this year, I mean. Uh, and... Yeah, uh, Marvel was obviously really hot to trot with Ultimate because they revealed the, the the cover to the fourth issue along with the teaser that totally gives away a huge twist in the first issue. So if you haven't read Ultimate Spider-Man number one, stop listening now, scrub ahead like a minute. Uh, but the teaser reveals um, Uncle Ben is alive in this alternate universe. Aunt May is dead. And the dynamic is shifted in that way, but also Peter doesn't have powers yet. Anyway, we have a cover here that shows us Green Goblin, a gray guy. I can't tell who that is. Maybe it's Tombstone of the Ultimate Universe, Mary Jane, the kids, Ben. And then there's another character that maybe Bishop? Who is that? No, that's the um, Captain Britain guy, maybe? I don't know. Captain He's got an eye patch. I think, was he in the Invasion book, that one that came out a few weeks ago? Yes, he was also in the Ultimate Universe one-shot. 
So yeah, 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 yeah. part of uh, the maker's cabal. So it's cool to see them um, revealing more stuff like this. Although I have to say, as a fan of the fact that when I read Ultimate Spider-Man, I was completely surprised by a few things. Giving it away a little too much sometimes can ruin the experience, but I don't know. There seems to be a lot of potential with this new universe. Yeah, I what hooked me about the general concept and reading the first issue is that Hickman and Shadow essentially flipped the spider dynamic, not just what Bendis and Bailey did with OG Ultimate Spider-Man, but Spider-Man in general. Because again, here's a Spider-Man who's you know in his 30s, married, kids. And instead of it being a total accident, he chooses, he makes that choice. So again, mm-hmm. it, it's nothing like what we've seen before. And it also opens up the door. And anybody who's been reading Ultimate Invasion and you know, Ultimate Universe knows that the maker has made it so that this is a world without heroes. So what happens now that you introduce an adult Peter Parker with an entirely different set of problems who has chosen to be Spider-Man? And you know, how does that play out with you know Ben and MJ and the kids and everybody else? So that's fine. But I do agree. It's kind of slapping it on there. Maybe it might get people involved, but also kind of, you know, because I did not expect that. I Neither. When when Jonah comes in yelling, Parker, you expect, oh, it's going to be bad. And then you turn your page, you see Ben alive. And you're just like, what the? <laughs> but it works. Right, right. I mean, the super fans knew that Aunt May was dead and maybe they could have inferred that Ben was still alive. But... The dynamic, too. We didn't know Ben was, you know, the managing editor at the Daily Bugle and stuff like this. It's There's so many interesting dynamics in play. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about Ultimate Spider-Man a little later, of course. Uh, it may or may not be on the best of list. Uh, but in other Marvel Comics news, it's sort of Spider-Man related. The What If Venom series, that's going to be a five-issue series, uh, got a bunch of designs released on Friday, including a Venom Moon Knight, Venom She-Hulk, Venom Doctor Strange, and Venom Wolverine Hulk thing. <laughs> uh, if you go to aptcomics.com, you can, of course, see these designs. Um, this is a series we knew was coming, uh, written by Jerry, Jeremy Holt with art by Jesus Herbas, and it starts in February. This is interesting to take the what-if line and make it a series. Although, I will say the most iconic and my favorite what-ifs are usually one-shots that do an incredible amount of storytelling in 20 pages. That's one of the draws for me. It's like, I'm going to get an event-caliber story in one issue. And in this case, they're stretching it out. But I have faith in Jeremy. I think they do a really good job with all of their works. But uh, what do you think? I think um, I I do agree with you because the best what-ifs have been one-shots. I think my... Favorite what if is what if uh, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, and the Hulk oh, had yeah. stayed as the Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. That's a really fun way to see how they handled stuff like, you know, the OG uh, Infinity Gauntlet and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that being said, the idea of seeing how the Venom symbiote might react to different characters is wild. Because, again, if anybody has been reading uh, Al Ewing's Venom run, they now know that uh, – Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, has a symbiote, and this is a character who's, you know, a spy, espionage, so she has a different way of using it than Peter Parker, right? So it's just like, how does, you know, Mark Spector, who, you know, was brought, died and was brought back to life, be handled with a symbiote? How does Stephen Strange, who, you know, is a master of mystic arts, handle that? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, that'll be the fun. I just, I'm just generally curious to see how that turns out with different characters. So that's fun. I wonder if this is because they're, I always think about this because of the MCU and Sony and stuff. Like, are they putting this out now so that when the collection's on the shelves, Venom number three comes out in theaters, 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 it could be a fun thing because people could be yeah. like, it, it could be fun because people could be like, I liked Venom here stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah. synergy is a double-edged sword it sometimes. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, it's fun because, you know, you can piggyback off that, but it's just like, do you have the concept? Can you keep this going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, I think I, go, I think back to when the first Venom movie, because when that's when Dyke hates and Ryan Stegman dropped mm. their Venom comic, and it yeah. was just really really good. So that's a good case of it. Yeah. So yeah, but I will give it a chance because I'd like to see the idea of Moon Knight as Venom probably. Hooked. Yeah, I wonder what Kanchu will think of that. Probably like because mm-hmm. I mean he likes Peter. and poor Mark because like again you know the <laughs> oh, man true. has a oh my god he's got voices in his head now he's got another one that's true exactly because it's just like <laughs> there's Jake Lockley there's Stephen Grant oh, there's Tonshu and now there's this slimy alien thing oh good god holy crap you could do a whole series with Moon Knight as Venom that'd be so cool right right so, Wait, so that's I'm gonna put you up. I'm gonna call Marvel right now CJ's got to write this one he's got <laughs> oh, the right my idea. God. I, Oh my god, dude, that would be I I mean I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it. I would love I, Moon Knight is literally on the characters I would love to write. Mm, so I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Speaking of synergy, and you said that maybe two minutes ago, <laughs> Rise of the Powers of X, number four, and Fall of the House of X, number four, cover art and solicits were released on Friday. Uh, these are two synergizing books that are leading us to the end of the age of Krakoa. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it. Obviously, we don't have a ton of information because these solicits are quite scant on details. Although, one of the details is, who is Traitor X? Uh, is it made? What is that character that Rob Liefeld created? Uh, Major X, was it? Ma- Major X? like <laughs> Maybe it's Major like, X? Like, Could you imagine how mad fans would be if Major X was introduced as the killer of the Krakoa Age? Oh, my God. Given how... Uh, <laughs> Lifefield has reacted yes. to all the all yes. books. That would be way too on the nose. Uh, the fan reaction to these was eh, minimal. I don't know. I think people are a little, uh, they're getting a little cool on this. I know Rise of the Powers of X number one uh, was, uh, there was an incredible review on AIPT by a writer that is on this Zoom right now. <laughs> but also, um, I know Fall of the House of X People are a little lukewarm on that one comparatively. I mean, I think Karen Gillan has a lot more to work with on, on in, with the story he's telling. Um, and obviously it's touching back to Hawks and Pox stuff as well in a deep way, which is compelling. Are you excited for Rise of the Powers of X number four? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely, because uh, that's touching on a lot of the future stuff that was set up in Powers of X with the Dominion and Mutant yeah. Kai fighting their last stand. So, yeah. And it, but I will say I did mention in my review. I do feel like it would have like fall and power and rise would be a uh, a little stronger if uh, Galen had tackled them both. Because again, yeah. Hickman did Hotspox, and mm-hmm. it was like great. And then uh, Percy did uh, X Lives Accessible Ring, which mm-hmm. was kind of you know great intertwined. Yeah. And again, I I've, this is no this is no shade of Jerry Dugan, but I think he is working on a different level from Gillen. And Gillen and Ewing have been the two writers I feel have been on the same wavelength as Yeah, Hickman. yeah. I don't know. It kind of feels like something is a little out of sync because, again, Hawksbox and X-Lives XF are kind of intertwined, so I'm just like, where's the ties there? Mm-hmm. But things could change, especially given if they both set things up so i i don't know we'll have to wait and see yeah i think you hit the nail on the head there i i I don't think jerry dugan's a bad writer at all i just think he's really good at like superhero kind of like tropes in these stories and gillen and ewing tend to do these like 
I don't know, thought-provoking uh, sci-fi weirdness stuff that somehow works. It also ties into the history of everything. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Because uh, um, what was I going to say? Hickman, I think, in an interview, talked about how his stuff is layers. Like, yes. you should go layer after layers. And I think Gillen and Ewing are on because, mm-hmm. like, in Mortal Thor, mm. uh, Ewing is doing a story about the power of myth. And when Gillen did Judgment Day, it right. was like, how does you know mankind mm-hmm. and superhero kind work to be you know worthy of living? Right. And- Morality and yeah. Really interesting concepts that like elevate it a little bit. Exactly, and I'm, and I'm not against big superhero smashups. Like, like again, yeah. part of why I like reading Predator versus Wolverine because it was exactly <laughs> oh sure. You no, know, let so, loose. You know, like I think what's worked with Krakoa is it's dead into these deeper themes. So I think that's what mm-hmm. Bill is doing great for sure. Yeah. Uh, switching gears to some indie comics news. It was revealed that Daniel Warren Johnson's Transformers is getting a new series artist, Jorge Corona's taking over. And I think this is cool news. Obviously, Daniel Warren Johnson can't draw every issue forever. Uh, if you if you listen to interviews or talk uh, hear uh, artists talk about their work schedules, most can't do more than six issues in an entire year. And if they did, they will kill themselves. <laughs> like they, It's literally bad for their bodies. So... Makes total sense to me that Hori Corona's taking over. I know some fans might be a little disappointed because, you know, I don't know how you top Daniel Warren Johnson's incredible suplex-style fight scenes with giant robots. But I think it's a pretty even match in a sense because Corona has, like, a kind of cartoony style that suits, I think, Transformers. Uh, yeah, because uh, it's like Johnson's still writing the book, so he'll still yeah. shape it, but uh, Corona's... Sure artwork he's i think he did a few variant covers it feels more in line with the original animated series mm-hmm. so yeah i think it'll still have those vibes and again yeah uh i like the shifting of artists for different arcs because that's a nice uh fun way to you know do, do shake up the thing and sh- separate the books so it should definitely be fun especially i i don't know given how this last issue and i'm sure we're going to talk more about it i'm just like how does uh what's next for this second arc because yeah Mm, yeah yeah i think you're right it's better than having a fill-in artist because when you sit down to read the trade paperback it's not going to be like oh look at this art wait what the hell oh wait it's back Mm -hmm. (laughs) now corona gets to do his own arc and obviously it gives uh johnson more time uh idw pleased ninja turtle fans this week by revealing that they re-upped with paramount uh, so they can continue to make Ninja Turtle comics. They didn't say how many years this new contract is. I would be fascinated to know if it was like two years, and we'll see, or is it ten years, twenty years? Like, is it so long that it won't even matter, like, to the average fan? Uh, obviously, Ninja Turtles has been at IDW for quite some time now, so uh, it makes sense for them to stay. Although, of course, IDW lost the Transformers and GI Joe license about a year and a year or two ago now. So I think there probably was some nervousness from some fans thinking maybe go to Skybound. But uh, yeah, no, uh, I think this is good news in some sense. And obviously Kevin Eastman, uh, the co-creator of Ninja Turtles, was happy with it too. Yeah, yeah, because IDW had been doing licensed stuff. Like like their entire thing was built on license, but then, you know, Transformers and J.H. Joe went over to Skybound, and now Dark Horse is doing Star Wars-themed books again. So pretty much uh, Star Trek and Turtles are their big draws. Mm -hmm. And My Little Pony, don't ever forget My Little Pony, because that's everyone's How can I forget My Little Pony? How Exactly. (laughs) But 
But I will say that I have been enjoying the direction that IDW took with it. Like back way back when it first started, I was like, this is really, really good. And then you have stuff like The Last Ronin and then yes. you know, the Saturday Morning Artoons, which does yes. the 1987. Such a no-brainer idea. They should have done that 10 years ago. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there's different permeations of Charles because that's mm-hmm. the fun. I have literally grown up with every permeation of Charles when I was a kid. Yeah. There was the 1987 ones. When, there was, when I was a teenager, 23, mm-hmm. 2K3. When I was in college, the uh, 2012 and then the uh, 2014 movies and now – Mutant Mayhem and yeah. the IEW stuff last night. So the concept is really eternal. And the fact that Eastman is there and uh, you've got Garrett, right, Tom Waltz, Sophie yep. Campbell, and everybody else, it's just it's really, really good. So, mm-hmm. yeah, here's hoping that however long it lasts, that we get some more good stuff out of it. Uh, oh, speaking of Sophie Campbell, they will be writing uh, the 150th issue with Vincenzo Federici drawing. Um, IDW revealed some details about this. It's a 68-page exercised issue and uh yeah celebrating turtles and all all the developments that's happened in the idw story we have a really cool um front and back cover with a ton of characters in there and a lot of them are only in the comics so it's kind of a cool celebration of turtles comics and longtime fans i'm sure going to get a lot of payoff from that yeah because it's been going on since 2011 i believe so that's like a decade and some change and mm. there's been a lot of stuff there's been characters that have lived there have been the dynamics so the turtles have been shaken out they've introduced a new ninja turtle with mm-hmm. jenica mm-hmm. so yeah there's it's, it's been a lot like, like it's it's rare especially from you know with especially with you know the big two and you know image having more you know finite endings for a comic to go on as long as it has but yeah true it's pretty amazing and Honestly, the only other big licensed property comic I can think of that's done this is Boom Studios Power Rangers because that. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes so sense. yeah, yeah. It's 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 rare, but yeah, yeah. It's it's really fun, and Campbell has done a great job because I remember when Waltz left the book, I was like, oh god, what's going to happen mm. now? But yeah, Campbell said they do a great job, and can't wait to see how it all ends. It's crazy to think, you know, when we're like eighty. Turtles will be around so long, it'll be as around as as long as when Superman is for us now, maybe-ish. I don't know how time works. <laughs> but, like, oh. there'll be kids that are 12 that'll be like, oh, Ninja Turtles is so old. Man, that, that's, that was around the last century. <laughs> uh, speaking of old, well, kind of old, DC is re-releasing Prez, setting a dangerous president uh, in for the U.S. 2024 elections, it appears. Uh, this is a 2016 title from Mark Russell uh, and Ben Caldwell. And uh, yeah, DC released this news saying straight up, this is because it's an election year. Uh, knowing Mark Russell's work, who is so good at satire and so good at like drawing out truths in our in our own lives, but with soups usually, um, I think this is a great time to revisit this book. It was a great series when it came out all those years ago, and uh, it's kind of cool that they're doing this. I saw Mark Russell, he took up uh, the AIPT News and tweeted out that he's surprised that it's back in uh, publication. He actually thought it would be buried forever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe because it's too political, I'm not sure. But yeah, Uh, I really can't wait for this new edition. It's going to have a new short story and some bonus materials too. I will definitely uh, check it out because I've liked Russell's work with – Rumpus Room at AWA, and uh, he also wrote Fantastic Four Life Story, which was really good. And then uh, I believe the Snuggle Puss, which was yes, surprisingly yeah. good. So definitely worth a read. And 
again, timely publishing is good. So fourth trick. We need more uh, political comics, I guess. <laughs> I exactly. Know. More political satire. <laughs> Uh, and then Dark Horse came out with the news that the there's a new tri- true crime graphic novel, Dr. Worthless, The Man Who Studied Murder, is coming out in the summer of 2024. Uh, it's by the same creative team that did Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done? Uh, it's by Harold Schechter and Eric Powell, you know from Goon, if you're a Goon fan. Um, obviously, these two worked great together because they're doing another true crime book um, only a few years after the last one. I'm not familiar with this true crime, and it's so interesting to me. Like, true crime is so popular in like podcast world, and we're seeing more and more like true crimey kind of shows and movies and stuff. Uh, so it's nice to see it kind of permeate comics and see how well it does. Yeah, and this is again Dr. Frederick Wortham, who wrote a whole book about why comic books were bad and stuff like that. <laughs> and also, looking at the uh, description, it's just like, okay, this could be fun. It's just like an actual complex portrait of this guy and seeing, you know, what was going on in his head. So that yeah, the, at least is worth it. The subtitle is, it nearly killed the comics industry. So industry. I'm like, oh, damn. Putting out a comic <laughs> book about the guy who nearly killed the comic that, that is wild, but I, yeah. I, 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 prove, I love it. I love the... Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, as a comics fan, it'll be interesting to see how that, that weaves into uh, our own knowledge of comics history. Uh, speaking of comics history, though, uh, Universal and Skybound have already put out a Universal Monsters book. It was Dracula by uh, James Tynan and Martin Simmons. And they revealed on Friday a new one, Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's written by Dan Waters, Rom V, with art by Matthew Roberts. And there's a preview on AAPTComics.com. I'm going to go check that out. Uh, I think this is a great follow-up to Dracula. Why not, right? I think the Creature from the Black Lagoon hasn't gotten enough play, honestly. Um, obviously Guillermo del Toro did a kind of creature fish man thing. Um, yeah, the shape of water is yeah. the unofficial sequel to that movie <laughs> and no one can tell me otherwise. Yes, exactly. Uh, and you know, I, I, it's a, it's a creepy looking character and you know, with global warming and water rising, why not have more, uh, gilly man creatures <laughs> that's grabbing our Plus, The fun fact <laughs> is that, um, this is actually a sequel to the original film. So it's kind of picking up like he, and years after the original film, and that's really fun. So this technically is an official sequel to the original movie, and I love that because uh, the creature from Lagoon is like one of my top three oh, favorite movie monsters, right next to the Yajuta from Predator and uh, Freddy Krueger. Because Freddy Krueger, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the design was great. I mean, he looked creepy. I mean, he looked really stiff too. But I mean, come on, it was that. <laughs> When did, when did that movie come out? Like 1950 or something? Yeah, 1950. Yes, yeah, 1940 or something. But yeah, it's it was really fun because it felt really different. It was you know it was most of them were either you know cursed, what's the monster like cursed or you know brought to life. And here's this thing that's probably been around. And yeah. there's that romantic. Del Toro talked about there's a romantic undercurrent between mm. you know, the monster and the girl, and he took home that make home movie out. So that'll be fun to see how they do that because again. I know people bring up the Dark Universe. Yes. Like, Universal was this actually a series of movies that were in the same universe, yeah. And it flopped hard with the Tom Cruise mummy. But yeah, uh, yeah. this feels like the antithesis of that. It feels like they're actually, yeah. you know, taking the actual time. thought into that. And I, I really like it. And I really hope, my fingers are crossed that the next one is The Wolfman because mm. I'm a big fan. That so. would make sense. But yeah, this is really awesome. 
Yeah, I, maybe they keep the mummy like last, just because like that, like you said, that movie didn't quite work. <laughs> so forget Botel needs to fire her agent. Yeah, the, yeah, that's true. Uh, that's it for news. In our next segment, top books of the week, we're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week. Uh, my fa- second favorite book of the week was Sensational She-Hulk number four by Rainbow Rowell and Ig Guerra. This book continues to be incredibly well acted and uh, real, deeply real. This issue, so the last two issues. I was a little down in my reviews because it was basically like a sort of stretched out uh, She-Hulk meets Hulk in the city kind of story. It was still good, but it didn't hammer home like She-Hulk's day job, how she's like struggling to like keep and uh, keep that going. Her romantic relationship wasn't in the last two issues and now it's back in this issue. And it's just hitting all cylinders as far as relationship, day job, being a superhero. Her friend Hellcat shows up and adds all this chaos and... Uh, uh, we also have Cap, uh, Captain Marvel uh, popping up, and all of these elements are just, they're moving, they're flowing, and I think Rainbow Rowell is so good at dialogue, and it all comes together so beautifully in the second, uh, sorry, fourth issue. And yeah, it, it continues to have a sense of humor about itself, and it continues to have like a very like realistic take on heroes. Like, I, I keep saying this in my reviews too, like, Marvel's all about the world outside your window, right? And there are a lot of books that doesn't feel like that, like... Empire, for instance, like these global, world-shattering alien invasions, whatever. But in this case, it very much so is that world outside your window. And I think Rainbow Rowell is really good at that and really humanizing characters that sometimes are incredibly not humanized because they're like monsters or whatever. Yeah, so, so glad to see this is as good as the first issue of this new run. Um, And yeah, go check it out if you like great character acting and character moments. Awesome. I will definitely have to check it out. But what was your second favorite book of the week? So for me, there was my uh, one of my picks was Action Comics 1061 by Jason Aaron and John Timms, which mm. kicks off the Superman superstars because apparently all this year DC is going to get its best talent to do you know Superman stories, and and uh, this yeah, one yeah. is pretty fun because uh, Air, it's tackling Bizarro and doing a new twist on it. I always really felt that Superman has had a really good rogues gallery, but I don't think they are more utilized because you, you will be lucky if you get something that doesn't have Lex Luthor or General Zod, especially in the movie. Then I get it, but this right. has been changed. like they've done like in the recent stuff they've done good stuff with Metallo and over and Josh Williamson Superman mm-hmm. they did they Parasite creepy and now with Act this story. Jason Aaron is literally making Bizarro the opposite of Superman by having him you know power up using magic and i was like that's actually genius right i would like a story explaining why magic is superman's biggest weakest but that's another thing and it, yeah it's just yeah what struck sure. me i read the interview uh with uh, aaron on the site and he talked about how bizarro is a tragic figure yeah. and i really think because like yes. if going to the opposite thing like um, Superman has been lucky. Like his pod landed in Smallville, and he was raised by the kids. Then he grows up, meets Lo- sure. Lois Lane, falls in love, and then he turns out to have this whole other family. You know, Supergirl, Superboy, Crypto, the Superdog. Like he has this whole supportive network of friends and family, and people love him. He's the superhero. In contrast, Bizarro is you know often you know revved off this dumb thing, and then it turns out in this thing he's lost Bizarro. He can't find his way home. So that's adding tragedy to a villain and making them mm-hmm. very deep. And John Timms draws the heck out of it. Like, again, his soul thing is a stunning contrast. 
When Bizarre shows up, it's all dark and uh, washed out. And he looks, you know, like he's carved out of a rock. When Superman appears, this beautiful two-page red, where he's flying over Metropolis, everything's shining, yeah, yeah. and that's big, bright, and it makes him good. It's like, this is good, this is good work. Plus, it yeah, lives yeah. up to the, yeah, exactly. Just, just position. Yeah, it's good. We're doing a character that are opposites. <laughs> it's good to have that juxtaposition. Plus, it, it's, it lives mm -hmm. up to the action comic same. Bizarre Lily punches Superman and Superdur. It's that... It, Jason Aaron, why I love him is he's a guy who will go like to the extremes with art. Like when he was working at Marvel, he had you know yeah yeah. I, I keep thinking, I think he, the one thing I summed up was Sachin Spider Man Wolverine, Wolverine to stop the fusion of Doctor mm -hmm. Doom and Ego, the Living Planet, shoots a gun that has a bullet infused with the Phoenix Force. That is it, that insanity is why I love comics, and he's bringing that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well said, well said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you referenced the interview, um, which was, we played on the podcast uh, mid-December, and my favorite part of that interview was when he was like, I asked him, is it hard to write bizarro dialogue? And he was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, in fact, when I was writing Yoda at Marvel, uh, it was so hard that he would write normal dialogue, and then the, the Lucasfilm people would be like, you do know Yoda talks backwards, right? And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's just it's impossible for me to like keep the logic of the language. Um, yeah, it's it's I, I, I'm right there with you. Action Comics is really good. It's really cool that uh, DC is also giving big time writers like this a, a crack at story arcs rather than, you know, giving the reins to one person for a year, uh, which isn't bad either, but it's cool to see Jason Aaron get to do a Superman story like this. Yeah, definitely, because I've been loving Batman Offworld, and he mentioned that he had wanted to write Superman yeah. for years, so yeah, it's good. And yeah, yeah. Definitely looking forward to what other uh, folks do. I, I, I want to tell you straight up, Dave, when I was reading this, I was like, I was tempted to write my entire review in Bizarro speak, but then I'd be, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, no, they probably oh. think I was actually trashing the book when I liked it. I, no. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, like Aaron said in the interview, like you can't really do only Bizarro dialogue because it, it just confuses the reader. And what, where are we, what are you even doing at that point? So I, I get why you wouldn't go that route, but that it would be really fun, clever way. I always love it when reviewers do something crazy, like, I think um, Pitchfork once, their, their whole review was a video of a monkey peeing in its own mouth, which was obviously really rude, but what a bold idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we would never do that at AFPT, though. Well, maybe we would. I don't know if we're bored. Moving on to my favorite book of the week. Uh, probably no surprise to anyone. I've been a spider guy forever. I reviewed every issue of Superior Spider-Man, and I loved Ultimate Spider-Man number one by Jonathan Hickman and Marco Cicchetto. Uh, my, my my expectations were tempered, I wasn't quite sure what to expect, and I was pleasantly surprised by some really interesting new character dynamics, particularly J. Jonah Jameson and Uncle Ben, uh, sorry, we already spoiled it earlier, uh, maybe I should have told it again to spoiler warning, but uh, they are like friends, co-workers, I, I don't quite know exactly how close they are as friends, but we get to see JJJ, JJJ, uh, be like a father figure to Peter, which was really fascinating. And meanwhile, Uncle Ben is kind of colder. He's almost like that father figure type that doesn't want to hug his son. Whereas JJJJ, JJJJJJJ, uh, he actually takes his tie off and he's like very caring. He, he puts on his tie for Peter. He puts it on him and ties it. It's like 
That is such a cool idea to show the emotional connection in a really interesting and efficient way. Only, almost as if you would, this is a kind of idea you'd see in a movie because, you know, you only have so much time in, in screenplays and in comics. So being efficient like that is a great touchstone. And that's just one little moment. Mary Jane is back. She's with Peter. So many fans are just so happy about that. And I'm just really excited about this new world where heroes were essentially wiped out or prevented from being uh, created. And now it's 20 years later. Heroes, so if, if this was the Marvel Universe, it would be 20 years into the career of heroes that aren't around. How does that change the dynamic? How does that interact with this world that has this master control uh, of villains? And now we have a Peter Parker that's 40 with powers. Is he going to like slip and fall off the like roof when he first tries to swing? Like there's so much potential here. Uh, and you can totally see that in this first issue, which is exercised and it gives a lot as far as character. Obviously, it's like lacking a little bit in action, but I don't think we're there yet. Did you like this issue, CJ? I, I loved it. Like, like I would have been interested because now, now that you think about it, Hickman has pretty much now tackled all the big stuff. He started out with Fantastic Four, then went to Avengers, mm-hmm. then, of course, you know, did Hawks Pox and the Krakoan Age with X-Men, and now he's doing Spider-Man. Yeah. So he's done all the big pillars of Marvel. But I also love that he's, you know, taking a human approach. Like, it's like Peter says it best in the issue. He's like... Um, I've had a good life. You know, I've married to the woman I love. I had two kids. Everything's good. But I felt like something was missing. And then we learned that, you know, something was missing. Like, he was meant to be one of the greatest heroes of this world. And uh, the mm-hmm. maker stole his future. I love that uh, thing, that uh, last page, or second to last page, where uh, Iron Lad, the young Tony Stark, is like, these people stole your future from you. Do you want it back? And it appears like, I want it. Because, again, I love that this is a Spider-Man who chose to be Spider-Man. So that yes. fits the Yeah, and then what does that do? What is that? How does that change his dynamic? You know, like, what is he thinking? It's different. Exactly, it's different. Also, Marco Chichetto is just an amazing artist because, like, I've been following his oh stuff. Oh, my God, like, so um, good. Like, he did a Star Wars comic that, that was a prequel to The Force Awakens, and his Luke Skywalker looks amazing. Of course, he did great work yep. on Daredevil. And Hyper-realistic, yeah. Yeah, it's hyper-realistic and very detailed. And, very, and something I've noticed, he likes to draw characters with beers. We did Punisher... <laughs> Frank Castle with a beard. We did Daredevil, Daredevil yeah. beard. I'm just like, <laughs> who are you going to give a beard next to? Give Scott Summers a beard. Cyclops would look great with a beard. Oh, man. He would. He would. He would. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but yeah, it, it looks it looks amazing. It's very well written. It's a very good kickoff. And it sets this tone of this is a world that is slowly reclaiming the hero as a loss. And it makes me mm-hmm. so, so yeah. excited for Ultimate Black Panther next month. So, yeah. it's Yes. Brian Edward Hill. I think he'll kill it, too. Um, he's been killing it on Blade, so oh, I know, right? And he was off superhero stuff for a while, so it's cool to see him back too. Um, mm-hmm. If you go back and listen to the Chip Zdarsky Spotlight episode we did in October, we talk a little bit about Marco. And I, 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 at the time, Chip was like, Marco only wants to draw Spider Man. He's one of the best artists to ever draw Spider Man, and. I think back now and I go, he knew that Marco was going to draw this book because I don't think anyone knew at the time. It wasn't revealed yet because near Comic-Con it was revealed. And I'm like, I think back to that. I'm like, he knew that. And he didn't say anything. What a great guy. <laughs> Met him at LA Comic-Con. He was a phenomenal guy. He's so great. And that interview is like an hour and 30. And he probably would have went like three hours if I wanted to. But I don't like taking too much of uh, guest time usually. 
but yeah, no, go, it's a great talk. And it's, yeah, I just talking to him a couple times now on just Zoom is great. I can't imagine meeting him in real life, too. Really good dude, really good dude. But what is your favorite book of the week, though? My personal favorite book of the week was Rise of the Powers of X, issue one by Karen Gillan, R.B. Silva, David Curiel, and uh, Clayton Cowles. Because, again, I had been following the Krakoa era since House of X and Powers of X, and I wanted to see how, and this issue felt like a deliberate mirror to Powers of X, issue one, both the setting as well as, you know, certain panels as well as, you know, just how it shows the X-Men will continue to fight. Like there are so many great moments in there. There's uh mystique and Gambit have a big hard They're just like, get mystique's like, I kind of actually liked you. You made my daughter happy. I was like, huh, mystique actually has a heart. Who knew? <laughs> yep. But also um, it, it also the revelation with professor X thinking about, you know, going back in time to try and change everything. It's just mm. like, it kind of shows the double-edged sword as Charles Xavier. Yes, he loves being kind and wants to protect it, but he will often sometimes go to just mm-hmm. extremes to do it. And I'm just like, dude, this is the same thinking that led you to uh, mind-wipe Xavier, and that led to uh, onslaught. She's like, you are you you are thinking about things. Stop and think. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like how him and Magneto put Moira in that like cage, basically. So exactly, immoral. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's all about the greater and good, it, I guess. Yeah, it's it's just like this is kind of like I've, I've always liked when Cyclops or somebody else is in charge because they just like kind of stride that thing. It's just like it's mm-hmm. just like yes, you can walk. Yeah, it's just. I mean, let's go back to the I'm beginning not... when Professor X was like, "I like Jean Grey. She's so cute," and she was like twelve. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What the hell?" This, this, that set up all kinds of warning bells. You read these old comics, yeah, you're just like, "Yeah, yeah." My God, why? Oh, no. man, don't read, like, early Fantastic Four. Like, Reed is such a sexist. It's kind of hilarious. Uh, but oh, yeah. corrected oh, now yeah. for the modern age. Thank God. But I did love the uh, updated X-Men. Like, uh, Sink was kind of the Professor X figure. Yeah. And uh, Kamala Khan was Captain Krakoa. That, that was, was neat. Fun. Yeah. And Iron Man being a fusion of, you know, armor and stuff. And uh, I think Shadow Tiger, because... Uh, I am a huge Kate Pride stan, so uh, nice. seeing her literally take on Apocalypse powers was amazing. It's a cool idea, like, too. I was like, I, that got me thinking. If this was modern day and Apocalypse made her into one of his horsemen, which one would she be? Mm. And I thought maybe uh, Famine? I don't know. I don't know, because usually it's Carissa. I, I just Famine makes sense, because when she phases, it's like she's empty. Yeah, exactly, and uh, it disrupts them. It disrupts them. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, I have to question for you. Arby Silva, who illustrated yeah. oh, Powers so of X, was just a great You can't compete and, with that, yeah. Like, when the Dominion shows up, that was like, that was a big screen-worthy moment. And oh, sure, yeah. Just, oh, so, so good, so good. When it comes to Miss Marvel, yeah, uh, you know, it's a secret as far as like what her mutant power is, did this reveal that at all? I can't remember. It did not reveal. It did not reveal it. I mean, yeah. she still had her base powers. So I'm going to guess that it's going to be for the mutant menace. Yeah. Mini series that's coming up soon. But uh, yeah, I'm so, I'm so surprised that I, I truly am not a fan of the fridging that led to this. Uh, but generally, the whole entering Kamala into the X stuff has 
actually been fairly smoother than I expected. And I'm generally yeah. curious to see how this all works out and if she will still be with the X-Men going on whatever post Krakoa is. Yeah, same. But yeah, Rise was really good and I'm generally interested to see how all this mucking about changes things or it doesn't change things or yeah. it sets up what's to come next. But yeah, it's it was really good. Really good slice of sci-fi superheroics, which For is sure. my jam. So yeah. Yeah, that big sci-fi epicness uh, that we saw in Powers of Ten, I think, kind of returned here. And it really worked, for sure. Nice pick, man. Thank you. Moving on to our next segment, Standout. Moment of the week. My God, the echo worked. (laughs) It it amped it up. I'm in a big room, so. (laughs) This is where we talk about our favorite panel or page from any comic book out this week. It's basically our chance to glow about some cool art we saw and some fight scenes. I really liked a scene from Transformers number four by Daniel Warren Johnson. Man, the fight stuff in this is insane. Because when you think about the scale of these like five-story tall robots that probably weigh 500 tons, and in this page, uh, which you can see on aptcomics.com on this podcast post, uh, we have a Transformer getting the legs swept out from them by a car. They fall, and then we get to see Optimus drive over their face with a very satisfying crunch. Um, my God, the energy of this page is so cool. The use of color, too, with the yellow at the top, the blue at the bottom. It's like it's hot, it's fast, it's energetic, and then at the bottom, cold and dead. It's like, oh, my God, it's like the smashing blow. And you get that from the color story, let alone all everything else in between. And yeah, I just love this page. There's so many moments in this book that could be a Kapow moment too. Yeah, it's, it's a whole book full of Kapow moments. Yeah. And you feel that weight because again, you said it's best. There's two giant uh, robots trying to kill each other and you feel <laughs> the impact of that. Mm-hmm. I guess my Kapow moment would be, again, surprising nobody, Ultimate Spider-Man number one, re- the revelation that Uncle Ben was alive. Because yeah, yeah, again, yeah. I had known reading Ultimate Universe that uh, Aunt May was dying. So I was just like, okay, how does that affect Peter? Because again, uh, I've always said, if Peter learned about responsibility from his Uncle Ben, Aunt May is where he gets his heart and his drive to help people. Right. And ha- having her around, that definitely was a change. But the big wham, because again, I was thinking when Jonah comes in, he's yelling, Parker! Yeah, he's, yeah. He's up. But then he cut, stops, says, hey, Pete. And I was like, huh. And I was like, Parker? And I was like, who Uh-oh. else is Parker? Is it, it, was it, <laughs> I've got to be real with you, given yeah. how uh, I was expecting his dad, Richard Parker, to be. Oh, uh, sure. That's a possibility. Yeah. And, but but it was, but that big wham. And I was like, I should have seen this coming. But mm-hmm. also, it works. And the funny thing, I was talking with my best friend, Lance, who is a big comic fan. And he's like, doesn't did your channel draw Ben in a way that reminds you of Neil Adams? And I was like, Oh, huh. interesting. I kind of, I kind of see that. I kind mm-hmm. of see that. I kind of, kind of see it. I actually, yeah, I, I, I can't see it. I actually met the man, and yeah, he kind of has that Uncle Ben flavor. So yeah, 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 yeah. that was really, really cool. I don't know if it was intentional yeah. on Hickman and Chichelle's part. That was really good. But yeah, 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 that was the biggest wham moment in a book that you know turns the Spider Mythos on the table. But yeah. It was surprising too, because like I don't think Uncle Ben was like ever a writer or editor in any mythos. So it was, it's like you wouldn't expect him to have that job, but I guess for some reason he went that route in this universe. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's 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 like you mentioned. It's fun that the Daily Bugle is taking such a central I'm part. So surprised I, by that. The yeah. journalist, I love that, but also it's just like shows how much this was a part of Peter's life because he kind of you know supported him. And it's a new, fresh way of doing it. It's such a smart idea too. You know, with the way the politics are these days and how we're always looking at the news cycle, it seems uh, why not make that the central focus of you know. The good guys and bad guys, as we learn a little exactly. bit later. Especially we, now we know that there is an actual conspiracy by the maker and his cabalty. You know, right, right, right. It's going to be fun. Oh, I can't wait for more of that. Yeah. Uh, moving on to our next segment, top books for next week. We're going to talk about our most anticipated comic out next week. Oh, my God. There are a lot of really good number ones coming out. Uh, it was honestly, I was very excited that you picked this one because I already got to review it. Uh, there's an advanced review going up tomorrow on Monday. Uh, what is your most anticipated book of the week? <laughs> My most anticipated book of the week is Cobra Commander issue one by Joshua Williamson and Andrea Milana. I never thought I would say this. I know, but right? <laughs> I, read, I read Duke last year and I was like, this is really good. This feels like a very cool spy throw instead of a G.I. Joe thing. And yeah. they made you feel Duke as a character. So now the she was on the other foot. How is Williamson going to write, you know, this terrorist mastermind, especially in a world where giant robots and advanced technology. So that will yeah. definitely be fun. And uh, I've seen the preview pages and it definitely looks a lot more bloodier than Duke was because of Carrie Cobra Commander just straight up murders a guy. And yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah, that tracks. Blood splatter, me. yeah. Mm-hmm. And going back to the Rise of X, uh, Rise of the Powers of X and Fall of Powers of X, it mm-hmm. kind of feels similar to that in that Williamson's writing two sides of a story because right. you know, you have the guy who's leading G.I. Joe and the guy who's leading Cobra. And it's just like, how do they react to the fact that things have changed? So mm-hmm. that'll be fun to see. Yeah, Duke is like completely shocked by the fact that there are <laughs> sentient giant robots that can turn into fighter jets. What will Cobra command to think when the, uh, he learns about Energon, Energon, uh, Energy, whatever? I always say Energon. Uh, and uh, giant robots as well. And I can only imagine he's going to be like, hmm, I can use this. <laughs> yes. Uh, use this for the legions of Cobra! Oh my God, that voice. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the thing. I got to review it already. Uh, it is really good. Uh, some interesting world building that Duke doesn't do. So Williamson has said in a few interviews that like, uh, Cobra Commander's his favorite character. So I think there's a little bit more love in this book in that regard. Anyway, I, I'll say no more. But my most anticipated sure. book of the week is Avengers Twilight Number 1 by Daniel Acuna and Chip Zdarsky. I got to read it like a week ago, and it's really good. Uh, I think people are going to really... Ex- Acuna can't miss, man. And Oh, yeah. We're doing a story where uh, Cap is much older and in a world that doesn't really care about him. They They think he's you know, old history and what does that mean and are there conspiracies going on and what's going on with Tony Stark's tech? Some interesting questions. And, you know, Chip's not missed on these like alternate reality what if style stories. I don't know if this is in canon. Maybe it will be, but probably not. It's probably its own thing. So yeah, I'm really excited for folks to check this one out. It's it's solid, solid stuff. Oh yeah, because uh yeah, he did a great job of Spider-Man life story and then he did Marvel 2 and 1 which showed yeah. a few different features which really was fun. I definitely like that because also I've loved Daniel Cunha's work when he did I mean you mentioned Remender and it's Serata because uh mm. Avengers, 
Mm-hmm. was when I first saw his work and I was like, ooh, this is really awesome. Mm-hmm. He gave all the X-Men different uh, upgrades and it was really cool. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he does that. And again, the idea of taking Steve Rogers, the man out of time and mm-hmm. doing that, but now he's in the future. Yes, he's kind of, it's inverted. Well, that is a really good concept. I yeah. really cannot wait to read it because, again, Starcy has done great work in all of his books and it looks gorgeous. Yeah. I don't know how Zdarsky has the time. He's freaking doing two Batman books a month on top of this now. And then other stuff, he did the Howard the Duck one shot. Uh, Man, it's crazy. Uh, Also crazy, our picks for Judging by the Cover Junior, our favorite cover art out next week. I love the Wonder Woman number five cover by Daniel Samper. This is the main cover. And uh, I'm always a, a fan of these absence of... I don't know what you call it. Absence of color. Oh, no, wait. Like uh, Yeah, negative space. Negative space, thank you. Uh, we've got uh, the Wonder Woman's red bodice uh, kind of bleeding into the star behind her. It's really cool how it's framed with the star, too, because we've got three different things going on, three different em- enemies, too. We've got the new villain. We've got the kind of soldier kind of guy, commander guy that's after her. And then we have the capital. And if you've been reading Wonder Woman, you know that politics is a big part of this. The U.S. government is against Wonder Woman. They want to take her out thanks to these evil uh, 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 powers that be that are manipulating our government into thinking she is an enemy. So, yeah, uh, really interesting themes. Samper's art is super detailed. Uh, I love how he draws Wonder Woman, too. She's, you know, it's not like this exploitive thing at all. She looks muscular. She looks tall and big like an Amazon would be. Uh, and yeah, it's just really iconic looking. I mean, I could see this as like a cool t-shirt even, which is always a good mm-hmm. sign when a cover works. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, definitely. If you could slap it on the wall, it works. Exactly. Well, yours is very poster worthy as well. Yeah. I pick is, uh, the upcoming, uh, James Bond 007 by Dave Johnson. And I just love how this thing looks. You have Bond staring down, his gun is pointed and you see the latest sight, but then you also see... In the background, this big missile, as well as, you know, a uh, circle with a hammer on sickle. And mm. then in the foreground of that, you see Bond running as people shoot. It kind of reminds me a lot of how the Bond title sequences work, how you have all these different images, you know, fading out into each other. And I keep imagining, uh, et cetera, presents James Bond 007 in whatever this is. Because, mm-hmm. again, the, uh, seeing Garth Ennis, a writer I've been up and down on over the years, sure. should be interesting. I'm just like, is this is going to be an up or a down for me. But uh, yeah, Jan Sean should feel big and bold. And I love that the Dynamite comics have kind of tapped into that more brutal edge from Fleming's original novel. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, that should be a good balance. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, this definitely looks like a movie poster. It does, yeah. I love like the circles that are like going around the gun it's like really drawing your eye yeah, down that it. barrel and then the laser no, it just right remind me of it's kind of like the it, it's kind of like artistic take on the gun barrel sequences that open it oh uh, yeah 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 true true, true. yeah that was very clever on johnson's part johnson's a great cover artist so good it's unfortunate that just a little business side of things <laughs> cover there's some cover artists there that would be amazing interior artists but there's just not enough money in it because they can they can put out more covers and make more money than if they were to do an entire sequential story, which is a little unfortunate, but it's the world we live yeah. in, I guess. Yes, yeah, I would love. I would have loved to see Kale Nagu, who does like a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. crap to do it, but I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, nice pick, dude. Moving on to our last segment, join us as the Kill Your Darlings uh, entire creative team: Robert Quinn, Ethan Smith, 
Griffin Sheridan, join us, talk all about Kill Your Darlings. Number five's out next week. And uh, CJ, you've reviewed a few of the issues. You've liked it, yeah? Yes. I The entire concept was kind of like, it, it, it intrigued me. Like a general uh, fantasy world gone wrong is definitely fun. But what also intrigued me is how each issue opens. There's like different things, there are different sequences that leap forward in time, mm-hmm. usually showing a young girl and something horrible happens. And I have to assume it's all tied to what is going on in the protagonist Rose's life. Cause again, mm-hmm. the issue starts with her in her fantasy world and then it ends with her house being burnt to the ground. So you're just like, mm-hmm. what the, yeah, what yeah. happens? But uh, yeah, it was definitely, uh, it's definitely been a good thing. I've been loving what KLC Press has been doing. Mm-hmm. Vanish, yeah. good, yeah. schlub, funny, mm-hmm. and now this. I'm just like, what's gonna come next? But yeah. And we'll find out when we talk to the guys in a second. <laughs> So guys, thanks for being on the podcast for the second time. Oh my gosh, I know we couldn't stay away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for having us. You know, this is actually the 14th time you guys have asked to be on again, and I finally <laughs> relented, and I had to have you on. No, it's become a daily thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a regular AIPC. listener, you know, and it's like yeah. when we're not on, I really feel like we're missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I need to hear my own voice. Yeah. <laughs> This well, is the content that people want. It's just the three of us. We're, you know what? We're going to start our own podcast. We don't need you guys. Do it. Yeah, uh, we'll do it. I'll listen. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations on Kill Your Darlings doing so well. I know it's gotten Thank second you. printings. We have the fifth yep. issue out January 27th next week, just a couple days from now. Mm-hmm. I got a chance to read the next two issues, and I think fans are going to really love where you go with it. No spoilers. Oh, um, <laughs> I was taken aback a lot and uh, we'll get into it a little <laughs> bit uh, as, as you'll find out in a moment when we start asking questions. But for those unacquainted with Kill Your Darlings, those bastards out there who haven't picked it up yet and button every <laughs> variant cover, could you give them an, a quick elevator pitch to catch them up? Oh, all right, yeah, let me stretch these these old <laughs> muscles that I haven't, haven't, haven't quite done since uh, the book launched in September. Um, Kill Press Your Darlings. Press yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not okay. I got it. I got it. I got it, Ethan. <laughs> Calm down, Ethan. <laughs> Kill Your Darlings is a new fantasy epic coming out of Image Comics, uh, written by myself. I'm Griffin Sheridan and Ethan S. Parker, Hello. and uh, art by the incredible Bob Quinn, who's joining us today. Um, and letters and design by John J. Hill, who is not with us, but he does incredible work on the book. Um, and it follows a little girl named Rose who has a very active imagination. I like to say that she's the J.R.R. Tolkien of eight-year-olds. So she's got <laughs> maps and character designs and lore to this world that she likes to play pretend in, like with her stuffed animals and everything after school. Um, but in the real world, things aren't super great. Her mother, Andrea, is kind of drowning in bills and maybe some other things that we're not totally sure about. But one day, something goes very, very wrong in the fantasy world, and that evil starts sort of leaking out into the real world, and there's some terrible, devastating things that happen at the end of issue one that propel us on this adventure to, um, I don't know, save the fantasy world, save the real world, Mm -hmm. save Rose from whatever this ancient evil is. And while we're doing that, there we're also tracking um, another young lady uh, through 
seemingly hundreds and hundreds of years of terrible events. And how is she connected to Rose? Find out and kill your darlings. Wow. All right, that, that was that was fine. I have notes. Uh, <laughs> okay. We can talk after the show. Maybe do like an X-Men animated series like previously on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah, good. Totally. That's good. <laughs> No, I think I think you summed it up really well. It's the the fantasy nice. epic element is I think something we don't see a lot of in modern comics these days. I mean, obviously you see these elements with superheroes, but I mean outside of superhero comics. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you're really nailing that blend of fantasy and realism too. Thank you. Much. Um yeah, we love walking a tightrope. Uh, so the fantasy world and the real world, the fantasy and the horror of it all. Um, yeah, we love to just sort of kind of balance genres and tones uh, as much as possible. And and uh, Bob's art also walks that tightrope with us, I think, pretty spectacularly. Yeah, we've talked we've talked a lot about how like the term of like a piece of media having something for everybody like is not, you know, it's not often the most positive thing because that can end up meaning that it's quite broad or whatever. But like we do, we are like trying to do all of our, all the things we love in this, like really following our bliss with this, this whole process. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. It bounces around between some extremes. Following our bliss. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so genuine. Yeah. And, and so it's like such a upsetting and gruesome book at times, but <laughs> yeah. that's us following our bliss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> making, making others miserable. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. Perfect. Awesome. Amazing. Well, um, issue five begins the second act of the book. As yes. it were. Mm -hmm. So if you guys had to solve the difference between act one and act two, what would it be? Um, yeah, act one of the book um, is very steeped in mystery. Uh, the, the, we, we've, we've been joking around a lot about this, uh, this line from the, the comicbook.com review that said, hmm. uh, uh like I, I i'm four issues in and i i still don't know what this book is but i love it uh <laughs> and uh and that that is something we've really enjoyed and and i've also been a little taken taken off guard by is just how much people are like what is this what is going on hmm. and it is because it, the first four issues are quite cryptic uh hmm. and there's a lot sort of held back from you um and and so if you're following along with that first half, you're probably going to have like a lot of questions, uh, but hopefully, you know, you're entertained enough to, to keep going. Uh, the back half is where a lot of that is really going to start to come together. And I think that that'll really be evident to you if you've read issue four and you saw what happened at the end where some things came to a head. We finally saw our characters who, you know, this, this mysterious girl who wouldn't burn, who's been in the, uh, the cold opens finally shows up in the present day facing our main character. Um, and so all of that has finally come to a head. And this back half is just all about that. It's all about going, here's what this was, here's why this matters. And then all of that just rocketing you towards the conclusion. Um, and so emotionally, they're quite different. We're, we're heading forward from a space where the midpoint is our like darkest, lowest point. Uh, and so we're going to be going on quite a different journey uh, than the first half. And it's all going to start to make a lot of sense. Yes. That sounds satisfying. I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how, how we built it, where like maybe even getting you to a maybe potentially like a frustratingly like uh, anxious point with the first act with all these questions that we raise. And then mm -hmm. and then act two is like we you're going up the roller coaster, all of act one and and act two is going down. First so. four issues, ka chunk, ka chunk, ka chunk, ka chunk. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Hands up, hands up. <laughs> the uh, the series has spanned multiple time periods. Do you guys have a corkboard with red string uh, going every which way? Um, no. We uh, I did I did basically like at one point um, there was a big shift in uh, the second act and and exactly where we were going and how we were going to unravel all of these uh, questions that are set up in the first one uh, and it involved a bunch of structural stuff and added even more time periods that we were going to uh, there's a little tease for you we go to several more uh, periods in the second act um, and that that was starting to get so intense that I did lay out like a linear note of like we go to here and then here like a chronological thing but no no cork board no red strings or anything uh sort of gets ahead of the fact that the final issue is kill your darlings 2099 uh, <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, uh, uh, that's hilarious <laughs> no i really like that you know sweet. it seems very twisty and it seems like there's like there's so many places we go but like we've worked on this thing for three years and so yeah. and we've talked through all of it so much that like mm. it's all very straight in my head at least oh, sure, <laughs> like, sure. it's like a, I, i'm mm-hmm. so familiar with all of it oh my god what if there's like a fan edit where a fan's like i'm putting it in chronological order oh, this, is the, this is the this is the true version i don't know that could be know. interesting they just uh, did it with hawks and pox yeah hmm. yeah i'm very interested to see that um i think huh. it would be less dramatic we've structured it so then yeah, like all the yeah. we yeah. we jump back and forth for maximum dramatic effect mm-hmm. but uh yeah it would certainly be yeah interesting, i just understand I the whole story immediately <laughs> yeah, yeah. The cat was the cat was never in the bag. Yeah. All the payoff right at the front. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys are coming off of issue four, which features, and not necessarily in this order, people being ripped in half, mm-hmm. <laughs> magic swords, uh-huh. and plenty of action. While mm-hmm. the previous issues kind of set up everything that was going on with Rose and her fancy. Did you guys? have any thoughts while structuring this like this when you figure this is how we want to do it issue four has always been the big sort of like climactic action issue to the first half of the story for a long time the events of issue five were unraveled within issue four yeah. Uh, and that was all the big <laughs> sort of information that we would sort of drop on the audience uh at the very end of the first arc. And then when we started writing issue four, it became very, very clear that there would be no space for for that stuff. Because the, the stuff in issue five is some of the most important stuff in the entire series. It's It's been there since the very, very beginning. Uh, it was one of the first things that was conceived for the book. Uh, and so we've always had a uh, specific point in mind for when that would come. That's one of a few elements that went from being like a scene mm. or like a footnote like to like, oh, they, like this is like its own story. And so it sort of right. busted out of the confines of issue four. Yeah. yeah. But we, uh, we like, always knew Francine was coming in issue four. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there was always, there was always it. It, that's always been an element of the series is that every issue is like incredibly jam packed, like, like so mm. much. So we, like, that's been like, the hardest part probably mm. of like every issue is figuring out how to fit everything in and make mm-hmm. it all feel smooth. Um, uh, but that this is that four was the issue that breathes where it goes like this is like one extended intense uh, it, like at one point it was more like a haunted house like like that like it was always like 
yeah, this is where we kind of cut loose for a minute uh, and drop some bombs on you. You know, it shows an incredible confidence, I think, in your storytelling ability, um, all three of you, of course, that you aren't inclined to have someone be split in half on page one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just to, like, Mm -hmm. grab that reader and be like, now we know we have them. They're going to come back to buy more issues. Like, you, you had the confidence to tell the story the way you wanted to tell it. And it's worked, obviously, because obviously it's selling out, but also reviewers are loving it, too. And we're drawn into these characters. And... I think that's that's really cool. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. it's like it's it's like a hard sort of driving principle of like like having a story under the hood that you like love and like means something to you and that you you feel confident in but then like the 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 work on top of that that is like a much bigger challenge is like how do you take all of those pieces and arrange them in the way that they're like the most thrilling yeah. and that there's always something fucking crazy like to keep you like looped in whenever you might be straying for a second and something fucking <laughs> crazy happens whether that is somebody getting ripped in half or just some like looney tunes like cartoon yeah. animal shit like oh, whatever sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah whatever we, it could be and like and again that's us following our bliss it's like what mm. do would we need at this moment to get mm. us back in like yeah um we so, we yeah, we're 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 just we're, we're just going nuts <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially with issue four it was like we could rip someone in half at the very beginning i guess but then uh, where would we go uh <laughs> we, we, we we have such an incredible artist in mr bob quinn here that we we know we can get away with just mm. opening an issue with some intrigue and feeling confident enough that you're not going to put it down until the end. Uh, so we don't need to put the biggest and craziest thing right up front. Start off uh, a little quiet. You have somebody mm-hmm. eat a baby. And then from there, <laughs> and then yeah. you from do there the you And then, and then ramp up the terror. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I read that in The Hero's Journey. It starts with the yeah, baby exactly. eating. Yeah. It's one of the important yeah. And the mentor comes the in. Yeah, and yeah. the mentor's yeah. like. The monomyth, and then it becomes yeah. the bi-myth. Because that's part of it. Exactly. It's the perfect three-act structure. Um, Bob, uh, issue yeah. four. Your work drawing the sword fight scene is exceptional. I, I loved the framing, the the pace of it, uh, to the point where like the way she swings the sword, you can tell it's heavy. You know what I mean? Like there's a you can see like the momentum in the body language, and it made me wonder: was Bob in his study with a giant sword swinging it around, and someone was taking pictures of him or something? <laughs> or how do you get that right? So, um, it, actually, very early in my career, ninety uh, percent of my morning was spent taking photographs of myself. Um, yeah, I and. and I'm now, you know, how many years in now? I don't even know how long I've been doing this. I've I've now been doing it long enough that, like, a lot of that stuff has been internalized. Mm -hmm. So it's like I don't need to do it as much anymore. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I I, I did spend a lot of time, and I would, like, try to pick up a heavy thing or, like, um, a number of mornings I did, in fact, take all of the pillows off of the couch and then set a timer on the camera and then leap across my living room onto the pillows and injure myself on a couple of occasions but uh, I, you know it paid dividends yeah you know it long term i don't need to do it anymore because i learned yes. how the human body is constructed by looking at my own gross human flesh <laughs> flung in various directions <laughs> uh he just revealed to us just the other day that he has a ton of reference photos of his own face for expressions and oh, stuff cool. and now yes. i'm incredibly yes. determined to get some of those in the back someone of hack his computer part. let's see it yeah no exactly <laughs> i want i want some of them in the back of the trade so I'll just bad give them to you for free I, I have to find the one i have to see if i can find the dates on these so i can actually oh my line god. up on where we were so i can be like 
okay, here's the part where, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Look, I don't know where we are anymore. I don't know what's <laughs> happened in what issue. It's been a long time. But that one face, mm. I'll see if I can find it. <laughs> Great. Okay. Oh, yes. Great. Nice. Nice. So at the core of the story, the general thing seems to be trauma and how it spills off into Rose's life and affects her. Is what inspired you to go down this route? Was it like personal issues? Was it just how the story came about? Yeah. Uh, uh, the the like the original original like nuggets of the idea came to us during a very very dark time like it was like peak covid we were both mm. like frontline workers um and uh yeah like like uh the first like imagery of it popped into my head and then i called griffin and i was like what is this what 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 is this a story what what do we do with this and it was the crayon drawings from issue 1 of like the girl in front of the cave and everything and um and that yeah, it was like, I, I literally like that popped into my head as I was walking into a shift that I was incredibly anxious about. And like, the more that we talked about it, the more that we sort of like, you know, churned these these feelings that we were feeling of of anxiety and, and depression and all these things. And like, you know, we were very determined from the start to not just make us, a, a, you know, a simple like angry like the the monster is our anxiety and and it's and we're gonna make a character miserable with it so people understand what we go through it really we didn't want it to be this like one-to-one -one thing but it was certainly informed by that where it was like we're we're we are really going through it at the moment uh and interestingly like in many different ways feelings like that and also uh you know quite uh opposed feelings have informed major parts of the story at really pivotal parts in, uh, of our lives throughout these years of working on it um like the 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 final beats of the final issue uh the, a lot of it uh came to me during literally during a terrible panic attack in, in, oh, wow. in my car uh and like it, it was so like it's so weird how like just that like intense feelings generate uh imagery uh and uh and so like a lot of it yeah is us dealing with stuff um and yeah i don't i don't you know if people have been like why are you doing this to this, this poor girl and it's like uh it is it is for a reason uh and i hope that people by the time they get to the end kind of understand where we're coming from mm -hmm. uh because it's not just an exercise in uh in misery uh we're, we're trying to to express express some feelings why are you sure. doing this to this poor girl <laughs> nobody remembers the weekend that everything was great and nothing mm. happened yeah, yeah, right. it's true. Yeah, like a, a great, great heroes are made from great difficulty. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah, you stupid mm -hmm. idiots! What are you? What are you thinking? This. <laughs> God damn! <laughs> He's on his rant. It's the soapbox. It's the Bob that soapbox. We do this every week. <laughs> and that's when I created Spider-Man. Damn you, hooligans! <laughs> uh, Ethan, to your point, like uh, I think people will connect with the story because of that trauma. And I think CJ used the word like spillover, like as someone who has faced trauma as in his youth from his yep. parents, like I think there's a relatable thing there. And that's really interesting. I don't think we've seen a story like that before. Not to spoil anything, because it kind of you kind of get there in the next issue, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. like it, it emotionally, like I really connected with it, it like on a human level. And I think. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, we're, de we're definitely that issue is. That issue is no exception. We're sorting some stuff out for yeah. ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and I, it's, yeah, it's very, very 
as as I said in the in the letter in the back of issue one, like if you relate to that stuff, mm-hmm. I, glad to hear it. Also, sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, to take this even further into a serious uh, direction, uh, it appears the goopy rainbow stuff is evil uh, or related to the enemy. Uh, what's your beef with rainbows? <laughs> um, I don't think the uh, the the rainbow waters or or power whatever it is coursing through uh, the imaginary world Rosewood. Um, I don't think it's inherently evil. I think it's being used by evil. Okay. Uh, and so um, I I think what the sort of headcanon, you know, we don't actually like get into really explaining what it is. We sort of just point you in the direction and and hope folks will will get there, which is something we like to do on the book quite a bit. We want audiences to, to be able to sort of just have their own version of it in their head. We don't like over explaining anything. We think that's kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Um, to us, it's sort of like just like the creative sort of energy of Rosewood that has been, you know, being depleted and sort of sucked dry uh, by um, this great and terrible evil that hides out in the caves and in the forests and such. And so it has been using it for its own purposes. Uh, and then, and and that just continues to be the case uh, through the end of issue three and in issue four, when it sort of uses all of that power to possess Elliot and uh, break out into the real world. I like that explanation, but also you people have made, you guys have made me scared to open a pack of Skittles. So. <laughs> <laughs> taste the rainbow. The rainbow will taste you. See, oh, this is this is actually That's good. <laughs> I love that. All right, trademark that, CJ. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's funny. We actually, when we were designing um, w- what we affectionately call Monster Elliot. Uh, we liked the idea that we could use something that is traditionally very like happy, like a rainbow, all all these like right. multicolor and yeah. use it on a design that is like upsetting and bad. And so, again, it's like this thing in a weird, twisted context is suddenly a different thing. Because yeah. um, <laughs> so. we had early designs of him with like black sludge coming out of him and stuff. And it was just like, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. But like, the, yeah, the rainbow's coming out of the eyes and the mouth is fucking yeah, weird. Yeah, Bob yeah, nailed yeah, it. I, it looks good. Yeah, <laughs> it take does, up it some does. of those old drawings where it was like those those weird things where it's like just these black eyes and like ra- vomiting weird yeah. rainbow the, sludge. The, and I was just like, the very was, first cool. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the very first one was even upsetting. more yeah. unsettling for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you made the right choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's that would have been a little less maybe distracting. A, that would have been maybe more of a bummer. Yeah. Uh, sure, sure. Because <laughs> this is upsetting and it's kind of cool and it's kind of you know it's kind of iconic. Um, the so other one was enough. like the other one is like if this dude's face was like turned to mush, which is kind of nasty. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so issue five, which is releasing next week. Again, shifts gears and takes place in a different time. So, can you guys give a little teaser without, you know, any spoilers? What can readers expect? Um. Yeah. Well, like like we said, this wasn't always the plan for issue five. This used to just be a sort of, um, I don't know, not B plot, but uh, this this used to be the climax of issue four, and then it was too big, so it became issue five. Um. And yeah, it's been there since the very beginning. It has, it's the events of issue five are in the underbelly 
of the entire series. Um, and that's something that, again, because it was so present so early on, it is a moment that we have been building to for um, a very long time. And with each issue, uh, even though we never really, we don't, we don't really gesture towards it at all. And I think a one through four too much, but it is, it, it's just something that informed the way we've, we sort of structured the first four issues, knowing that it was, it was coming. Um, and uh, I think it sheds light on um, a character that people may, may not be as familiar with. Uh, and I think with that, there will be conflict, uh, mostly. We we want to sort of push readers to have their own opinions and feelings about everything going on. Um, yeah, and yes, it does take place in, an, in another time period. You'll have to crack the book open and flip through a few pages to find out when. <laughs> it was one of the, it was one of the, the toughest time. parts to write. It was brutal. I, I mm. was like bummed out. I was like bummed out during it. And then like <laughs> afterward, we were like, this is really good. We're really happy with this. How are people going to respond to this? Mm. <laughs> and, yes, it's... And, and like we've been on pins and needles just like waiting for reactions. And thankfully, the few people that have have been like, like very like into it. And so like, yeah, I'm very excited uh, to hear what everybody else thinks because this mission the issue means a lot to us. Yeah, yes. obviously your first audience ends up being me 98% of the time. <laughs> right, uh, right. And then, I, and then I read it and I was like, this is great. Yeah. And we were like, okay, great. Because, okay, uh, yeah. Nothing the, to worry about. <laughs> the email that, that, that we was... sent Bob when we like were like, scripts in the Dropbox. Uh, we did a little something different on this one. Uh, <laughs> let us know how, how you feel about it. Um, and there's a lot of acting going on and, and Bob is acting his ass off, uh, mm -hmm. in, in issue number five, as you, as you always do, sir, but there's less, uh, crazy fantasy stuff going on in issue five, uh, and more just very real visceral horror going on. Um, so like, I, I like to think that issues four and five are very complementary of each other where four, mm -hmm. It has a lot of crazy fantasy stuff going on. It's got a big sword and everything. Um, it's got a spooky haunted cave and mm -hmm. issue. So that's like, that's a lot of the fantasy. Mm -hmm. And then issue five is the horror. Mm -hmm. uh, issue so five our, is the spooky haunted cave of your soul. That's uh, true. <laughs> we, uh, so when we were initially, <laughs> when we were initially pitching the book, it was the, uh, Narnia meets hereditary part of it. Mm. Uh, the the this meets that that we were sort of mm -hmm. throwing out there. And yeah, I think you'll see that the sort of hereditary of it also starts coming yeah. out a little bit more <laughs> in yeah. issue five. Yeah. You almost like you're torturing yourselves because you knew it was coming and it sounds like it was giving you anxiety to pull this off. Mm -hmm. And you put it so mm -hmm. far ahead that you had to keep waiting and worrying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It was, it was so, <laughs> like Ethan's talking about how hard it was written. It is, it was like sort of hard on, I think our souls to mm. write it, sure. uh, but um, it was actually one of the easiest issues to write, like on a sort of mechanical sense where yeah. like it came out very easily. Um, totally. I I did the, the first pass on like, you know, the way that Ethan and I work, I, I do the, panel breakdowns and the panel descriptions and Ethan will go in and add um, some dialogue and, and character stuff. And so then we have a full script. And so 
when I did the skeleton, I was like, oh, this played out differently than I thought it would. Hmm. And it's somehow one of our most fast paced issues, despite being one of our most devastating. Yeah, uh, that was unexpected. It's a heartbreaking breeze. Yeah. 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 I recommend and, people uh, listen to Johnny Cash's Hurt while they read it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, okay. that's the credits song of uh, oh, issue yeah. five. Very true. Um, so that was, it's like a weird like dichotomy that happened with it where it's like oh this is so terrible but it was really easy to write because mm-hmm. we again we sort of internalized it really early on so when it came time to writing it uh, especially given the amount of space that we had now instead of like trying to figure out like mm-hmm. how do we do how do we do this huge moment in like right. five pages yeah um now it was like oh suddenly like Yes, this feels so much better to have. Yeah, this and this, this and issue one had marinated the longest. They were in the oven the longest. Oh, and interesting. So, yeah, they, just came, they just came out very formed. Uh, yeah, really mm-hmm. interesting. I feel like the next two issues they go hand in hand. They go together really well. Obviously, yeah. people are gonna have to wait a little longer for issue six. Yeah. Um, what made eight issues the right amount of issues for the series? Because it's kind of unconventional to have a mini series run eight and not six or five. Yeah, yeah. we. Um, yeah, it, 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 like it, it was kind of like a few different like shifts of like we wanted it to be like definitive. Um, we wanted it to have a beginning, middle and end uh, and like for it to not have any fat on the bones at all. And, you know, we planned it over and over and over and like replanned it over and over and over. And we knew we were trying to tell something that was like pretty sprawling uh, and took place like over a good deal of time um and that like a lot would happen plot wise like a uh it would be really jam-packed and so like eight came about very early on uh and well Ethan, we, if you if you recall it was seven for the longest time and you had to convince me that that's it true to be eight and that's thank true. god you did yeah i imagine <laughs> trying oh to my, do it oh my seven. god that would have been a nightmare uh from the artist's perspective it is not eight <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you yeah. said eight is extra large right Eight is Eight more is than double the size large. of a regular it's issue. Very, so it's yeah, almost it's like nine big. or ten then? In yeah, a sense? It, is a, yeah it is a super size finale. It's like you get wow. like, if it's like if it was a TV show, you get like a feature finale. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, nice. And, uh, <laughs> and let me tell you, it started the first draft of issue eight way longer than that oh yeah yeah it was it was like 100 pages and we had to whittle it down we're getting an el camino Uh, for kill your darlings yeah yeah that's not not an unfair comparison but yeah i don't know it's just as time went on it just made more and more sense of like we really love the idea of this series being split down the middle and having four Uh, issues on either side oh i see yeah uh, when when the act one act two situation like sort of revealed itself it was when it was like, oh, yes, okay. Because we yeah. struggled with the back half for so long because yeah. it was such a strange shape in comparison to the first half. And so, uh, and then especially when issue five spilled out of issue four and into its own thing, it was like, oh, fuck, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess this does have to be sort of split down the middle. And it just worked kind of perfectly where issue five again like it's it's like the curtain comes down at the end of four and it comes back up on five and you're maybe not in the place that you expected and it sort of acts as a new starting point for the second half of the series while also you know we're still it's the same story we're still following the same threads and everything but we sort of decide to start the second act in a place you won't expect i think we we also we haven't really talked about this anywhere but uh we did 
start to discover that the number eight was a weirdly occurring, weirdly faded thing with the series. Uh, And and there's some stuff that we can't say about that yet, but we just started going like, holy shit, wait a second. It's eight issues. Rose is eight years old in issue one. We do an eight year time skip. Uh, And and it just the list kept going. Uh, And Mm -hmm. and it was very, very surreal. Uh, and so I don't know. Maybe people keep your eyes out for that in future yeah. issues. Because huh. you guys called even... this Project Eight when it first. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. It was, like... it was it was because of that. Yeah, we we were like, oh, yeah. Project Eight. That's the perfect way to tease it. The 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 eight um, card as well in like tarot mm-hmm. is uh, also was bizarrely fitting to the story where <laughs> it depicts like a very strong woman with like an animal companion, which an is a very common thing. Yeah. 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 It's destiny. A very common, which trope. Uh, yeah. Interesting. You know how superhero comics tend to have multiple story arcs, but then they'll have, a, they'll have like an annual issue once yes. a year mm-hmm. and it's yeah. a big mm-hmm. one shot. And sometimes it leads to something. Sometimes it's self-contained. If kill your darlings had, an annual issue that popped in maybe between issues uh, seven and eight. Yeah. What would it be about? Oh, it's, that's, oh there's it, plenty we, that it could be about. I we, think. We, yeah. Gr- Griffin is literally <laughs> pitching me this at the moment. Just oh, like, really? <laughs> like every day, I'm just like, "There's more. There's uh, more." Where like at, like having wrapped it up and but uh, make no mistake, make no mistake. The ending is incredibly yes, hard the, and definitive. The ending Not is the ending. The ending. Right, but right. because the nature of how we structured it, we we've been talking about the many points in time that we go to, which right. then leaves many gaps in there, mm-hmm. uh, and and now that we have the full picture, it's like oh, and and now you can see all the like little things that could be um, additive without being like necessary, mm-hmm. where the eight issues are like an extremely efficient like that was kind of the. The goal with the book was like, what is the most efficient and exciting version of this story that we can do? Nice. Um, and that's why we sort of put ourselves in a box very early on that it's like it's eight issues. Uh, and then, you know, there was a crisis where when we were doing the script for eight and we got Bob on the phone, we we're like, is it nine? Do we have to split it? I'm so sorry. This is so, this is so long. I'm so sorry. But uh, yeah, it, it just sort of and especially we sort of wrote ourselves into a corner with the way that we do the cold opens where Mm. uh, the cold opens while are, they're extremely necessary to the story did make it quite tricky. Cause after that we would be left with closer to like 16, 17 pages Mm -hmm. Uh, to do what we sort of think is the bulk, the actual like issue, like the things that we have to get done in Uh this issue. So the story had to become even more efficient in that uh, sort of yeah setup that we made for ourselves, which was frustrating at times. But I'm very glad that we did it because I love the way that they all play. There, there is there is an element of it. you. You asked like, what would it be about? Uh, we unfortunately can't be specific, but I will say in issue eight, in our big feature finale, mm-hmm. there's an element that uh i think will be apparent when you read it that it's like oh man maybe that maybe there's maybe there's more there and <laughs> i am hesitant i'm hesitant to do anything like that but griffin's yeah. pitching hard and i don't know anything make fun. them want more right at the end of yeah, the day yeah, yeah, yes yeah. yes 
Well, I think people, after they pick up Kill Your Darlings number five in a few days and read all the back issues uh, and then finish the series over the next few months, are going mm-hmm. to agree that this is a fantastic series. I think folks should jump on now because it sounds like we're it's a good starting point if you buy the other issues, of course, right. because we're mm-hmm. about to have this final ride in the second act that's going to be pretty yes. cool. Yes, yes, yes. And so yeah, it, it's like, you know, it's like owner. We keep the roller coaster metaphor for some reason keeps working. Where like you could ride a roller coaster by yourself, but it's more fun uh, with other people. And we're trying to have uh, as many people on board uh, as possible because we think it's going to be a really fun ride. the The book yeah. was was written for monthly single issues. That is how uh, we've always wanted it to come out, uh, and it's been built for like maximum effect of like getting you to the end of each issue and leaving you with the, that cliffhanger for next uh, next issue. But they're also built so then they're all this this one big epic, as we keep saying. And yeah. so uh, if you want to hop on board the roller coaster, that is the second half of it. Issues one through four are in stores now. And yeah, issue five, January 17th. Yeah. If you can't find the first four, burn through them digitally and then get in for when all of the craziest shit in the, believe it or not, the craziest shit in the book oh, happens. Shit. Like, get isn't ready that, for the roller coaster drop. The fuck? Is that a promise? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, it's a promise. Yes. Yes. That's the Ethan S. <laughs> Smith guarantee. <laughs> yeah, no, for because yeah. six, five, six, and seven, you're going to be like, Jesus Christ. And then and then eight is is its whole own wow. thing. It was uh, it, It's us giving Bob literally every crazy thing we had left and him absolutely killing it so yeah jump in uh it's time as someone who reviews like 10 books a week has reviewed four thousand books in 12 years um (laughs) i love that this feels different in its plotting like and and you know whenever there's something a little different i'm I'm instantly liking it more that week you know i love spider-man or whatever but this one feels a little different and it feels special in that way. I oh, appreciate it so much. Thanks, man. Yeah. I was talking earlier with David that I am loving the stuff KLC was doing. Like I loved Vanish and I loved Thanks, the Schlub. And now this is just, you guys have hit a trifecta. Of oh, <laughs> appreciate Thank it. you. That's no problem. Awesome. No problem. Yeah. I mean, Creator own, man. It's where it's at now. For us to yeah. even be for us to even be mentioned in the same breath as as our, our heroes uh, on those books means the world. And so yeah, I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go pick up uh, Kill Your Darlings number five, January 17th. Thank you guys so much for being on the AAPT Comics Podcast. Thank you guys. Thank you, David. Thank you, CJ. Talk soon.